Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You know, if consenting adults want to enter into polygamy, don't abuse the children. You abuse the children. The children need to be taken from you and don't hide it under the guise of religion. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because it is not right to do that to a child. Right. It is not right to treat other women the way they've been treated. You know, abuse is abuse, and there is no gray area. It is black or white, and you abuse somebody, that's jail time. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs, and I moved out when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for nine years and have two awesome kids. Yes, and if you're interested in just listening in today, we do have our podcast available, and please don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, if you are from a polygamous background and would like to share your story with the world, please feel free to reach out to us at growingupinpolygamy at gmail.com. We also right now have our holiday fundraiser going on. You can click the link below. We are adopting a room at the Short Creek Dream Center, which is a previous home of Warren Jeffs that has now been turned into a place of refuge for those who are leaving polygamous communities, particularly the FLDS. Yes. Thank you all so much for your donation so far. We have actually already surpassed our goal. And we look forward to using all this extra money to doing more good for that community and more good for the Dream Center. So thank you all so much. Today, we are so excited to have a very special guest. We have the very first wife or previous wife of Lyle Jeffs. We have Charlene with us. Charlene, thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. We're very excited to have you on today. You have a lot of experience that most people have no idea what really was going on because you were the first wife, as Melissa said, to Lyle Jeffs, which is Warren Jeffs' full brother. Is that right? That is correct. Full brother. Wow. Lyle is actually five years younger than Warren. Okay. So Warren's younger brother. Did they live up or grow up together? Do you know? Yes, they did. Wow. Well, Charlene has a new book out real quick. I uh, do want to mention that before we even get started yes. that we are excited to share. We will leave a link in the description for her book. And we wanted to share with all of you a little bit of a teaser so you can get to know Charlene a little bit and a little bit about her story before you go and buy her book. Yes. <laughs> so Charlene, did you grow up in Short Creek starting from the very beginning? I'm guessing that's where your book starts as well. Where did you grow up? How many mothers were there in the family? And how many siblings? Those are our first normal questions. <laughs> I actually grew up in the Salt Lake area. Um, I was born up in Brigham City, and then my parents moved to the Salt Lake area. Uh, we lived right close to the base of Mount Olympus. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of hiking. we That's just kind of where I grew up. Um, I was four years old when my dad got in his first plural wife. And that's when things started changing. And I realized that I didn't really want to be a part of that. Wow. Um, at that young age. At that young age, my dad's second wife was a lot harsh. She, she was not kind to us kids. And I do have a little 
snippets in my book on some of the things that she did. We learned how to just please her in every way. And I know it hurt my mom because we knew that mom would love us no matter what. And we had to do certain things just to keep the other mom happy. I will refer to siblings and such by the name that they have chosen to go on in my book because some are still believing in Warren and the things that he does. So mm. I will use those names to keep it in consistency. So my dad's second wife, her name was, we called her Aunt Sherry. And she she had a temper and it was really kind of hard to cope with sometimes. And we knew that if we were to keep her happy, it was keeping her kids happy. She, I hate to use the word lazy, but she was that. Um, so my sisters and I, we would do the house cleaning and we would take care of her kids. And, and then mom would come to us and say, why haven't you got the bathrooms cleaned? Well, we were cleaning at Sherry's section of the house. Mm. Does not what I want matter? So I know it was it was hard, but that's how we kept from getting our face beat to a pulp, wow. which had done quite a few times to my oldest brother, Mark. She she was not kind. And wow. How did your father handle having a wife, like having wives that were so different? And was he like around a lot? Did he do anything or intervene with what was going on? My dad didn't know. She did it when he would be gone to work or when he would be out of town. He did travel a lot. He worked for, it was called Kenway Engineering. And so he did a lot of travel. And with that travel, he took mom because mom was his legal wife and that's who people knew. So through that, it was the jealousy um, that Aunt Sherry had that she took it out on us kids. And it's sad that that happens in a lot of polygamist homes, the jealousy mm. and the, the wife takes it out on the other wife's kids and it's the kids that suffer. Man. And you said, you said Aunt Sherry was the, was the second wife. Is that right? Correct. She was the second. You hear oftentimes, or at least people ask us the question, well, doesn't the first wife have more power and say over the other wives because she was the first? So what's your experience and what's your thoughts on that? My experience is it's not the first wife. A lot of, a lot of that comes from extremely jealous second and third and fourth wives mm-hmm. that they always say, oh, the first wife's the matriarch. No. In my experience, I have seen that it doesn't really matter what number you are. If the husband, if you're his favorite, you're the matriarch. And Mm. I was never the favorite. I never really could please Lyle in any way, shape or form. And it took a long time before I finally realized that I was never going to be any good to him. Um, Lyle's mom is, I believe she's like the fifth wife. And she was definitely Roland's favorite wife. My sister wife, my second, the one that came after me, she was definitely the favorite. Um, and with the favorite ones, they can do no wrong. Uh, you see anything bad about them and the husband won't listen to you or dad won't listen to you. And dad was quite smitten with Aunt Sherry. Mm-hmm. He could have 
me what she was doing. She lied to him. If any of us kids had a black eye, she would tell him, oh, the kids got in a fight and I had to break it up. I watched her take my sister just younger than me. I was four when this happened. She took my younger sister, who was only two, took her to the bedroom because she was crying at prayer time and whipped her until she was black and blue. A two-year-old? Oh, two-year-old. And I was screaming, pulling on my sister's legs to pull her away from Aunt Sherry. And she pushed me aside and shut and locked the door. And you could hear her just beating on her. And I just sat and cried. And my older brother, Mark, just gathered me up and hugged me and said, it's going to be okay. We'll tell dad. But dad wouldn't believe it. Mom did, but dad didn't. Wow. So because Aunt Sherry, the second wife, was the favorite in your dad's eyes, she could do no wrong. And therefore, that's probably why she was doing whatever she wanted to do. But it sounds like she's wasn't a good person, though. I mean, even if you're the favorite wife, it doesn't give you an excuse to beat up kids. That just is just sickening. That was how she was raised. Mm-hmm. And you tend to, if you are raised a certain way, you don't know anything different. Right. And that is what I'm, my main goal is, is to bring that awareness to the general public so that, you know, if consenting adults want to, you know, enter into polygamy, don't abuse the children. You abuse the children. The children need to be taken from you and don't hide it under the guise of religion. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because it is not right to do that to a child. Right. It is not right to treat other women the way they've been treated. You know, abuse is abuse and there is no gray area. It is black or white and you abuse somebody, that's jail time. You know, yeah. let's let's get real instead yeah. of putting it under the guise of, oh, it's religion. Wow. It's not. Did your father take on any other wives after? He did. It was after I was um, married. He took on, her name was Gladys, Gladys Jessup. She was, she was one of Aunt Sherry's nieces. Hmm. Her dad was Glade. I was trying to remember his name. His name was Glade. Oh, okay. Glade yeah. Woo. I'm sure there was no jealousy there from an already jealous person than having your niece marry your husband. Well, Gladys was very sweet, very quiet. I absolutely adored her. Mom adored her. Aunt Sherry did not. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, Lisa, that's not a shocker, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Aunt wow. Sherry did not. So. You said that at, even at four years old, you were like, I don't think I want to live this, right? Did that continue on or was there a point in your childhood where you did keep sweet and think that you did want to have sister wives that you wanted to continue living in polygamy or did it stay that way throughout your childhood? It stayed that way. (laughs) Um, I, when I turned 16, uh, there was a lot of men that was asking my dad for my hand in marriage. And I told dad, I says, I, first of all, don't want to marry any of those men because they're old they're crusty, they're disgusting, you know, repulsive. And I told him, I says, I really don't know that I want this way of life. And of course that displeased him. And he told me I needed to pray about it. 
By the time I turned 18, I told dad, I said, well, I don't want to choose. I'm going to let Uncle Roy choose. And at that time, there was a lot of the young couples getting together, going out drinking, partying, getting pregnant, and then, of course, having to get married because baby was on the way. And Aunt Sherry had accused me of doing that many times. The only times I would sneak out was with my brothers and we would go to concerts. Oh, wow. <laughs> no drinking involved, no sex involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just want music, okay? So, <laughs> Give me the music, man. Exactly. Yeah. So the simple fact that you stated there were many men asking my dad for my hand in marriage. The fact that they were able to come ask, I immediately knew that this was before Rulin and Warren Jeffs were the prophets. It, it was during the time that Roy Johnson, Uncle Roy, as we called him, was the yep. prophet because that was before everything was completely arranged. Is that right? That was. And Uncle Roy was actually trying to get arranged marriages to be a little more proper because of all the intermarrying, we were getting a lot of the hair lips and cleft palates and club feet and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he said it was because they were too closely related. He did, however, make the comment that my dad and his family was fresh blood. In other words, there was not going to be the genetic um, defects that would happen, like what happens with closely related people. So right. anyhow... Interesting. So you were going to let Uncle Roy decide. I decided I'd let Uncle Roy decide. And that was only because of the falsehoods and lies that Aunt Sherry was saying about me, trying to get me into trouble. And so I just told my dad one day when he was coming at me on sneaking out and kissing boys and all that crap. And and I says, well, Dad, you know, I was going to ask you if you would let me have an interview with Uncle Roy. I says, I'll do what Uncle Roy wants. And that made him really happy. He realized then that a lot of the stuff that Aunt Sherry had been saying about me was wrong because I had proved right there in that statement that it was wrong. So I did. I, I met with Uncle Roy. And At this point in time, how hard would it have been for you to actually try to leave the community completely? You know, some people might say, okay, if you knew that you didn't want a polygamous lifestyle, but at that point, did you have any other family members that had left? Did, would you have had any support system if you had tried to leave as a young girl? There was zero support system. Hmm. I didn't know anybody that would have helped me. I thought about running away at one time. I, I really didn't know where I would go, what I would do, you know, where would I live? I would have been on the street. And that is pretty much the same for a lot of the women and children, even still, that are um, following Warren or even his son, Helaman. There's nowhere to go. And they have less opportunities because of the fact that schooling was not something that, that Warren, yeah, he did Alta Academy to eighth grade, but he said that's all anybody needs is an eighth grade education. Mm -hmm. So you got these kids that some don't even have education at all. Yeah. And the highest they go is eight, eighth grade if they're lucky. And my dad was different from that. I was grateful. But to go out with absolutely nothing, no job, no nothing, it 
it's scary. And to be a female, you're really scared because you're told of all the, the horror stories that men take advantage of you. You know, this is what's going to happen to you if you go. And so through that fear is how they keep you. And that's what I kind of, I guess, was wanting to point out that yeah. right now, I mean, like you said, there's still people who still feel that way. And then there's also people like within Sam's family that as brothers have left, they've reached out to us. Like the more people that leave, the more there is support for people. But right. back then when it was Uncle Roy, it was not, there was not the support system. There weren't people there. There was nothing. And so to leave as a young girl is pretty much impossible. Right. So you say you're going to go meet with Uncle Roy. How did that meeting go? Well, he asked a few questions, asked what I wanted to do in with my life. And I, I told him I wanted to get into the medical field. I wanted to become a nurse. And he just sat there for a long time and he patted my hand and he said, well, let's see what your husband wants. And I said, I'm not married. And he says, I know that. He says, but the Lord wants you to be married before you go out and pursue a career. Mm. And so it was like three months later is when I got that call. And that's when I met Lyle. Okay. And how old, how old were you at this time, you said? I was 18. So you were 18. So mm -hmm. the, the, the really, to your knowledge, during the time that Uncle Roy was the prophet, were there underage marriages going on or was everyone 18 before getting married? When I got married at 18, Utah law was 16. And I do know of a couple of 16 year olds that got married, but it was all done legal. They were first wives. They were legally married in the early, way early years, like in John White Barlow's day, the legal age was 14. Wow. And a lot of people don't realize that. Mm -hmm. However, um, I know that my sister, her mother-in-law got married at 14 but they didn't want family or anybody else to know because she was a plural wife. She still lived at home until she was 18. Oh, so marriages like that did happen, but it was clear back in John Y. Barlow's day. And wow. then they didn't get together until they were 18. I see. We do hear stories of, of younger people getting married and that it was somewhat common back in the, yeah, but I've Back never heard day. of like the idea of getting married in secret and then still living with your family right. until yeah. you're of age and then going in. So it's like, what was the point? You know, that's right. very interesting. I think it was mainly just to keep her encouraged and to mm -hmm. keep her within the community. A little uh, bit of control. That bondage. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm sure you can speak for that. So you were 18 years old. Roy Johnson, Uncle Roy, said you are to be married to Lyle Jeffs. Uh, did you have any say in the matter of who you were to marry? Absolutely not. When you turned yourself over to Uncle Roy, it was for him to choose. And when I found out I was marrying Lyle, it was right then when I walked into Uncle Roy's office. And at that moment, I tried to escape because, yes, he was considered the hottest bachelor within the FLDS. <laughs> I I saw him differently. I looked at him as a male male chauvinistic pig. So wow, <laughs> did you know of him before you were told I to did. marry him? Oh, you did. I did. Okay, I did. A lot of my friends, when we would go to Fireside, that's who they would talk about, and 
I realized that he was the one that took care of the, the cooling system and the heating system, the sound system and such at church. Oh. And that's how I kind of got to know him. And I saw his arrogant walk and body language speaks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it does. Oh, man. Did you get to get to know each other before the actual ceremony? Or was it very much like you're getting married the next day? We were married the next day. Okay. Wow. See, I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I, for some reason, I didn't know that during the time of Roy Johnson, marriages were happening that way. I thought people had more of a chance to get to know each other before getting married. Some of them did, and it was only because they requested it, but mm. I didn't know that right. until a long time later, and I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was really hard to, you know, meet one night and be married the next day and to realize you were going to go home with this guy when you were taught your whole life, you are never to be alone with a man. Wow. And it was really scary. And it was like, you stay on that side of the bed and I'll stay on my side of the bed. <laughs> right. At that point in time, was there any like knowledge of what the warrant, like what the Jeff's family was to become? Like, did you have an, any idea that Lyle would become such a, head of the church, like so big in the church or that Warren was, or that Rulin even at that point, because if it's uncle Roy at that point, did you know, like, okay, I'm going to marry into this family. That's going to rise up and take control of the church. Or was he just another person? Uh, he was considered more like royalty because his father was part of the priesthood council, mm -hmm. okay. but we believed and we were taught. I mean, ever since I can remember, I was taught that uncle Roy was, going to be healed he was going to be renewed he would have a young body again and the things that you're taught as a child you believe and it takes something shocking to find out santa really isn't santa <laughs> you know? it's funny you say that about roy uh, uncle roy was to be renewed and have a young body again because then the same thing happened and was told talked about with uncle roy uh, or sorry uncle rulin and then, you know, so Uncle Roy passed away, Uncle Rulin passed away, and then Warren, and now similar things are being said about him. So as, at what point do people realize, oh, no, they're all going to get old and pass away? <laughs> you would think common sense would just kind of kick in, but no, yeah. I don't think common sense should be called common sense anymore. It's uncommon. Right. <laughs> well, and like you said, though, when that's all you when you're raised, you don't know any different than what you're raised in. And that's true of not even just the FLDS, right? That's true of anybody in their lives, the way that you're raised, that's your whole world. Yep. That's your whole world view. And if that's all you know, then why would you it takes a lot, like you said, it takes something drastic to even make you go, oh, maybe it's different over there, or maybe this isn't what I thought it was. Right. You know? Yeah, no. correct. I, and that's, that's what I kind of bring out in my book is, you know, when you see somebody that is in a polygamist condition, be kind to them mm -hmm. because your kindness is going to grow like a seed. And one day they're going to go, they're going to have that aha moment and they're going to go, oh, whoa, what the? Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. That is actually one of the main reasons that I left at age 18 is because of some kindness or a lot of kindness from the outside world. I was raised to believe that the outside world was this place you should have no desire to do anything with because they were in this, you know, under Satan's control and yada, yada, yada. You know those things. Yeah. <laughs> 
And, yeah. and, and when they were kind to me, and when I saw that they seemed to be these great, happy family and people, it made it so much harder to stick with what I was told was the only happiness and truth. I'm glad you brought that up. To be, just be kind and, and loving to those around you will make a big difference. Well, isn't that Christianity, though, is love and kindness? Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be, right? supposed to be and to not judge others, you know, because judgment is mine, thus saith the Lord. And that's, that was something that I would always bring up to Lyle when he would start judging other people. I would like, so did God die and you are now in his place and he is the judge and you're the judge now? And he would say, no, that's not how it works, but I have that authority. And I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. only God has that authority. And Mm -hmm. It would really make him mad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what was your early marriage like to Lyle? Yeah. So at this point, he's is not in really any position of power within the church, right? But he is royalty. And you get married. What was your early marriage like? Well, I'll say this. I did not tell him I loved him until after two months of being married. Because I didn't. And my mom got after me. And told me, you need to start praying that God will put that love there. And I do remember one of my friends, it was like her aunt, said that she did not love her husband for five years. And he just repulsed her. She wouldn't let him touch him. I mean, it was just, but that's that's the name of the game when you marry old creepy men. Oh, man. Is Lyle, was Lyle similar to your age? He's actually five, a little over five years older than me. Okay. So he wasn't he wasn't married super young, per se, considering that uh, you were 18 and he was five years older. You know, it's funny because we we talk about 18 as, oh, you were of age, you, were, you had plenty of life experience, you're good to go. And now with kids of my own, I'm thinking, uh, 18, no, you're still a baby. You have no life experience yet. So, but, <laughs> exactly. but compared, compared to some of the other ages that these girls were getting married, I mean, man, I'm glad that at least you were 18 years old. Definitely. I definitely was glad I was 18. And I look back now and I really liked the philosophy of Roland Jeffs. He said, I ain't going to have any teenagers married off to these men. They're homewreckers. And he was right. <laughs> so he would not marry anybody off until after they turned 20. Oh, wow. And that kind of ticked one of my sisters off because she wanted really bad to get married at 18 right out of high school. And nope, she was 20. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that was a policy of ruins. Oh, yeah. He he got so sick and tired of hearing all the sob stories. And and he was just like, you know what? We're just going to nip this. <laughs> You're not even eligible to be married as far as women, you know, until you turn 20. Good. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's hilarious, though, that it was for the sense of these young girls coming in and, and messing with the homes. I mean, young girls are just not mature. I mean, neither are young men either. Oh, no. So I don't mean to say just to the girls, but... <laughs> As teenagers, nobody is mature enough to be able to be in a marriage. Like, it's just not a thing. Like, their exactly. brains aren't even fully developed. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> oh, man, it doesn't surprise I, me. My sister wife that came after me, she was 23 when she got married, and she definitely was not mature enough. She was so immature. Hmm. 
and very difficult, very difficult to live with. Yeah. But that carried on forever. <laughs> oh, yeah. And some people don't grow out of it, right? Um, she didn't grow out of it. <laughs> How long were you married to Lyle Jeffs before he married a second wife? Ten and a half years. Oh, wow. wow. A long time. But those 10 and a half years, I found out after I was out of the FLDS that he was having affairs. Oh. And I was just not smart enough. You know, I, I should say I was blind. You know, when, when love is blind, you don't see things. Um, I would question things. And he always had this most perfect answer, you know. And... I do have a lot of that in my book of the different times that I kind of went, wait a minute, this isn't right. Why, why is this happening? And I, one of the things that made me question is here he was, he had all this work, he was earning money, but we always had zero in our bank account. Hmm. And it was really difficult. I couldn't imagine where anything went. He was never making the house payment, wasn't making the car payments. We had a car repossessed and we went a whole year without the taxes paid on it until I was pulled over uh, by a sheriff and he saw all the kids and he decided to let me go. But he says, I know where you live. I'm going to see to it that that vehicle gets, gets taken care of. And wow. I got in trouble for that. <laughs> Did you ever find out what happened with all the money? All I can say is he definitely had somebody on the side. Wow. Do you think that someone on the side was approved by the church or was he doing it behind? Oh, absolutely. Because no? after he got Pauline, then that was the second wife. Um, after he got Pauline, that's when things started changing and there was actually money in the account. Hmm. So I... I really, looking back, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that he was giving the money elsewhere and not taking care of his own family. Wow. Do you have, do you think that possibly Pauline was the person that he was having an affair with? No. Oh, okay. No, she really didn't want to marry Lyle. She wanted to marry uh, David Allred. Oh. She really wanted to marry him and then was really upset when her younger sister did. <laughs> Oh, oh my word. Oh, the drama. <laughs> Man, I know that they could never get into the community, but I mean, that would, the reality TV, I would be hooked on actually oh, just being a fly on the wall. Like, not the way they do it, where they like the producers are definitely egging people on, but being a fly on the wall, like secret cameras to watch, like. Oh yeah. <laughs> I want to marry this guy, but my younger sister got him and then I got married and then my niece ended up marrying my husband. Like, yeah. man, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. In the FLDS, you can become your own grandma, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I always say that. <laughs> yeah. He's always like the song, my, I'm my own grandpa. And I had never heard that song until we were married. And then it was so funny. I was like, Oh, I get it now. And then the more people we've interviewed and talked with people out there and I'm like, Okay, now it's really starting to make sense, especially like once Warren went to prison and he's marrying his, he's marrying his stepmoms, and then have, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. <laughs> so you have your marriage with Lyle. What is like the, I don't want to say temperature of the church, but like what was the feeling of the community at that time when you're married? I'm guessing were you still living in Northern Utah or Short Creek area when you were with Lyle? 
I was living in um, the Salt Lake area at that okay. time. Did not move down to Short Creek until the summer before the Olympics. Okay. Okay. So you went down with when they said, okay, no longer, you know, the Olympics are coming in, the evil end of the world, all that stuff. Yep. All that evil. So, so you were a part of that group that flooded and overfilled our small community. <laughs> <laughs> we got there a whole year earlier. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember that, though, very clearly when, yeah. the, when the Olympics were coming and they said everyone has to be in Short Creek, at least those that were living in Salt Lake area, uh, or they'd be destroyed. And it was a pretty intense moment. I, I remember feeling the, the tension and the pressure in the Short Creek community at that time. That was, that was a lot. It was a lot. Sad thing about all that is Rulin had already had his second stroke. And so he was not in a mental, he didn't have the mental capacity to do all the crap that was going on. Mm. Warren had made it so that nobody could visit him. And working in medical, I can see that that's the worst thing to do to a patient that has had a stroke. You try to keep things as familiar and as normal routine as possible. And Warren totally took that all from him. Do you think that Warren was doing that in a way to hide certain things or just simply so that he could step up and take charge and take power in the name of his father? All of the above. Okay. Mm. The above. Um, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a mathematician to figure out that, you know, when a, a person has a healthy baby, that's usually 40 weeks. And Warren had a couple of Rulin's wives after Rulin had died, have babies in less amount of time. Mm. One was a set of twins that were born, I believe they were born eight months after Rulin passed. And oh they were seven. They were full-term babies. Full-term. Oh my gosh. I'm like, okay, something isn't adding up here. I know that twins, when they are full-term, because my Aunt Sherry had full-term twins, they're seven, seven pounds. They're normal size. And these babies were normal size. Most twins are born early and they'll be underweight. Well, these babies were <laughs> big twins wow. for early. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then another one of his wives that was married to Rulin, it was nine months to the day that she delivered and she delivered a very large baby, which meant that baby was overdue. So I believe that he did a lot of the isolation with Rulin. <laughs> just to keep his sins quiet. Wow. Women fall pregnant. I really feel like that, that he overdosed him on some of his medications, which caused the small intestine in him to die off. And that's what ended up killing him. Wow. wow. This is information I've never heard. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's no happens with we're on the inside of the exactly. Jeff's family. I know. That's my insider, insider information. So during all of this time, because I'm very familiar, I remember those days when Rulin had his strokes. He was passing away. I remember sitting in the meeting house during the meeting when we got the call that Rulin had passed on. 
and a lot of the leaders stood up. I believe Warren was in that meeting, directing the meeting, got a phone call and stood up and rushed out when they heard that Ruthen had died. During that time, where was Lyle? What was the situation like with Lyle? Was he helping Warren Jeffs in his quest to take over the church? Or what was the situation like there? I am not sure that Lyle was helping him at that time. I think that Warren was just doing that all on his own until he could get that ultimate power. And then he would get his little minions to help him. Mm. Yeah, I remember that time too. (laughs) I was actually at home. I was doing Sunday dinner and we were getting the meeting piped over from the big house, which was Roland's house from mother Marilyn's room. That's Lyle's mom, Mm. Lyle and Warren's mom. And I heard the phone call um, because she answered it on speakerphone and I heard it before it even went anywhere else. And so I gathered the children together and we all knelt down to pray and to pray that our testimonies would be strengthened, that we would know who to follow. And I remember one of my kids saying, but he's not really dad. And I says, well, if you look at the body, his body is dead, but his spirit is still alive. And that is how I explained to my children that, no, he was not going to be lifted up, so to speak, or have his body renewed. I said, his body will never be renewed, but his spirit is. And they were able to understand that a lot better. So anytime people would talk about, oh, the lifting up, my kids would start laughing and they're going, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Wow. So when you say his spirit was renewed, were you telling your children that that Ruland's spirit was continued on through Warren? I was telling them that his spirit was now in heaven. Okay. And that's where we are renewed. I is see. In heaven. We don't have our crusty old bodies with us. We're in our spirit form. And okay. that's not an old, old <laughs> decrepit body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The reason I asked that question is because there were rumors going around the town. And you were more in the inside. So I'm curious what you heard that Warren was the renewed Rulin. That is what Lyle tried to teach our family. Um, After he would do that teaching, I would take my kids aside and I would say, father was trying to, to tell you this instead of what he was actually saying. So my kids knew that he was never, you know, I says, you can't have two spirits Hmm. in one person's body. And I talked to them logically like that and got my kids to realize that no, I says he can have influence over Warren, but his spirit is not in Warren. Okay. That's good. It's, it's, It's impossible. And you can pull out scripture and you can figure that one out. And so that's kind of how I, when Lyle would speak a falsehood, I would gather my kids up later and I would bring out scripture and Uncle Roy's teachings. And I would say, okay, now it's up for you. To, it's up to you to decide. And so they learned that way. And there was a time that uh, one of my daughters, her name is Zavenda, she came to me and she says, 
mother, I need you to come with me to the young women's meeting. This was after the UO was established. And so I went with her and the things that were being taught, she says, this is what I don't understand. And it was, he, they were teaching the new, the new law of Sarah. Mm-hmm. And that is where the women would get together, pleasure each other to prepare them for the man. What? That was in yeah. the UO? That was in the UO basically group sex. And after the, the meeting was over, I said, Zavenda, that is wrong. That is dark. And it is from beneath. And I says, the reason I know this is because when your father married Pauline, she suggested to have group sex. And I told her, no, not only no, but hell no. And then I grabbed my, my baby and I took off up to the big house where Rulon was and, waited until his last appointment was done. I went in and I said, I need some help. And I told him what was happening. And he said, I will back you to hell and back. That is a false doctrine. And don't you ever, ever submit to that. He says, you are only to follow your husband in righteousness. And that is not righteousness. And so I repeated that to my daughter, Zavenda and I'm pretty sure that's what got me kicked out. Wow. So before you got kicked out, let's just back up a little here. Mm-hmm. Who do you think, was this coming from Warren? Who was telling people this? Even even Lyle's second wife, where was she learning or hearing that? Because it's not like you guys get sex ed. So who's even coming up with the idea of group sex? With Pauline, um, her dad gave her a book that had like... 80 some odd sex positions and she brought it to me and she said, now that you've had your baby, Lyle and I would like to do this. And Oh my gosh. Your room's the bigger room. You have the bigger bed. And I just went, no, absolutely not. They were wanting to do it like w- group sex with in my group, room. The group. Oh yeah. man. With the two of them. Oh my yeah. word. And was showing me different positions that more than one can pleasure another person. And I just went, no, that is not right. That does not feel right. And Rulin, when I talked to him, he said, he says, women have to share pretty much everything. But when it comes to the bedroom, that is private and personal. So he totally backed me on that, gave me the courage to be able to stand and tell my daughter that that was a wrong principle. And this is why I know. And I says, and if anybody tries to tell you that, oh, this is current revelation, I says, always remember what Uncle Roy said. And that is, if it doesn't square with the books, which is the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and um, the Bible, disregard it as coming from beneath and don't follow it. Hmm. And Zavenda, she, she says, okay, I just don't know how I'm going to be able to go about not saying that I agree with the revelation. And I says, Zavenda, you don't need to agree with every revelation. And she says, well, then I'll be kicked out of the UO. So I told her a little evil thing that I had done. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> after revelation was read, we were to raise our left hand and say, yes, I agree. Well, I would raise my hand and go. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
And she's okay. And then he says, don't ever agree to anything if it doesn't feel good and then pray about it. I said, the Lord will give you a testimony of it. Yeah. So they were teaching those principles like in the, were they just saying that those things were necessary or were they like acting them out? Were they giving examples or was it explicit within the United Order meetings? It, so with Pauline, it was just something that a lot of the Barlows did. I know that the Steeds, as in Newell Steed, his family did it. Um, so it was kind of common with certain families to do this. And that was to show that you were united. And I said, bullshit. <sighs> yeah. But wow. it was definitely a desire of Warren. Um, there are recordings of him doing that with yeah. his wives. So when he wrote that revelation, then it was to become common for everyone. And I think it was, you know, when you are thinking evil thoughts and doing evil deeds, you want to corrupt others so that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's kind of what he was doing. A lot of those revelations that did come from the prison, I look back now and go, oh, well, that's because he wasn't getting hugs. He wasn't getting kissed. He wasn't getting affection. He wasn't getting certain foods. He wasn't getting. And so therefore he was making us or punishing us likewise. Yeah. yeah. So the UO was this thing that uh, the church did actually after I had left, I left in 2008 and I believe the UO started around 2010, 2011. 2010. 2010, okay. And they were rebaptizing members to basically prove like a, an actual act to invite them into the United Order. And, and then they were separated or looked at as better people than the others that weren't allowed in. Were you ever rebaptized or allowed into the UO, or was, were you too rebellious with your own ideas? <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, everybody had to be rebaptized. Okay. And then we were kind of put on a trial basis for a year. And so my first rebaptism was in 2009. And then a lot of the United Order preparation, the teachings, um, if you don't live it, you'll be destroyed, that kind of stuff. You've got to live it to the fullest. You've got to have all things in common. And so we were getting in preparation for that. Mm. And then that night came for our baptism. It was all done in secret. Mm. Everything was done in secret. I don't know why. I don't know who you're hiding from. But I <laughs> I went at one o'clock in the morning wow. <laughs> to go to my baptism into the United Order. And I, before that, I had to go through multiple interviews and supposedly those interviewing you and judging you had to have the spirit of the Lord fall upon them to know whether or not you were truly worthy of the United order. Of course. So I went through the first interview process and it was just Lyle. And of course it was absolutely no. And so I wrote to Warren about it and said, so what happens if a husband doesn't appreciate a wife, they will never get in whether God feels that they're worthy or not. 
and told him what was happening. And <laughs> Warren really was a good guy in some areas. Okay, guys. I mean, he wasn't completely <laughs> bad. <laughs> I've heard people say that before, that there were, there were aspects to him that, that people enjoyed being around him. Yes. Um, but anyhow, next thing I knew is the interviews were no longer just Lyle. It had to be three people. Mm. And oh, wow. it, had, it had to be two or more, you know, either a unanimous or two to allow someone in. And I went and did a second interview and answered all the questions. And the first, the two that were with Lyle, they're like, oh, wow, she's beyond ready. Her answers were perfect. You could feel the spirit, yada, yada. Lyle said, no, they went to Warren about it when I got in. Oh wow. my word. So it was quite the process. Cause that was, was when, process. when you said that you were getting interviewed, that was my first thought. I was like, wasn't it Lyle who's doing the interviews? Cause in case we've lost anybody at this point, Warren Jess is imprisoned at this point, yeah. at this Correct. point mm-hmm. when they're doing the United order. And so at that point, what position did Lyle have in the church that he's the one doing this interview? Lyle was bishop. Okay. Yeah. And that's what I thought. So, I just want to make sure. So Lyle's the bishop. And would it be fair to say he was Warren's kind of right-hand man on the outside while he was in prison? Yes. That's definitely a fair fair assumption. Yes, he okay. definitely was. Just want to make sure people, people knew. Like then – and – being married to the bishop, was he the bishop before um, Warren went into prison or was it not until after? It was after he went into prison. William Timpson was bishop after Fred Jessup died. Mm-hmm. So Fred Jessup was bishop for the Shore Creek area up until his death. And then William Timpson took over. Lyle became second counselor to William Timpson. And then when William Timpson was sent away because of bad behavior, you know, go to your room, stand in the corner, you yep. know, kind mm-hmm. of, but <clears throat> that's when Lyle became bishop. Okay. Yeah. How did that, did that affect, like, how did that change your family life? With him becoming bishop, did it change anything? And then I'm also, I'm almost more surprised, even if he had beef with you, I'm surprised that he didn't want you to be in the UO to make him look better. So was there like imagery of like how to try to make your family look or? He used me a lot um, as he worded it to encourage other men that look at how far she's come. She was just like your rebellious wife. Look at how far she's still striving to be part of the UO, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Yeah, I I have some of that. I've touched on some of that in my book. So if you want more detail, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what year it was that he became bishop? Uh, it was before the raid. And the raid was in uh, 08. 08, so okay. Yeah, the raid on the Lassie Ranch. Because he was bishop then. So I'm going to say it was like 07. Okay. Because when he... Bishop. That would make sense because I remember him becoming bishop when I was still there. And like I said, I left in 08. But I just remember my impression of Lyle is I would see him around the community a lot, but he never, I don't know that I ever like felt a need to super highly respect him during the time that I was there. But I do remember him. It seemed like he was always driving around town in his blue Jeep. 
I would see him. I couldn't. I couldn't walk across the street without seeing Lyle Jeffs in his blue jeep <laughs> passing by, and I'm like, "What is he doing? Is he <laughs> is is he spying on everyone, or is he actually that busy that he's always driving around town?" I wasn't sure. What 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 do you think? He was not that busy. He was driving around town spying on people. Okay. He ended up getting a lot of cameras put in so that he mm. could spy and. I learned where the cameras were and how to escape out of town without his knowledge. Ah. <laughs> Whoa. Which I, I did. <laughs> I knew there were a lot of cameras being put up and I would notice cameras here and there. And uh, so I knew that was a thing, but I didn't realize to what extent it had gotten. And I, and I also heard later that there were a lot of people always driving around town just to have eyes on people. So, and I guess Lyle was doing the same thing, huh? Oh, yeah. Security. When I was um, removed from the home and put into this little trailer, I noticed, I didn't realize at the time it was security, but every 15 minutes, the same truck would just drive around the block. Mm -hmm. And if I'd be out walking, they would drive around and drive around. And finally, when I realized it was security. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... What's up, dude? <laughs> <laughs> that was my way of flipping them off. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you got accepted into the UO. How'd you go from the UO to being kicked out? Pauline had a lot of power. We'll put it that way. So Lyle ended up being corrected. And Pauline went to the new bishop, which was John Wayman. And I don't know what all the lies were that she had said about me. But after Lyle's correction, we were moved from the RTJ home there to another home. And I was not allowed to be there. And I was put elsewhere. And it was two weeks of just pure hell. Mm. Being told that I couldn't associate with my family and just waiting to know what was to be done with me. And Lyle's correction was as it was worded in moralities of yesteryear, which meant immoralities of times past. And I really think it was, he was screwing around before he married me mm. and screwing around while he was married to me before he had other wives. And I think part of that being put aside was, I had a lot of my sister wives tell me, well, why aren't you corrected? if it was immoralities of yesteryear. And I'm like, how can you be immoral with your own wife? Right. So I think that that was kind of the start. And then when I did get to talk with John Wayman, he says, well, you complain. And I'm like, well, what did I complain about? And he says, you hit the snooze button. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, how is that a complaint? And he says, well, it means that you were not happy that morning time had come. Oh and I said, gosh. actually, I have Epstein-Barr, and if I am jolted awake too quickly, I am sick the rest of the day. And how is that good and useful to anybody? And he says, well, you got to figure it out then because you will not be allowed back in until you can stop hitting the snooze button. <laughs> For hitting the snooze button. For hitting the snooze button. That's a new one that I have not heard, and it 
I mean, it it sounds to me, and because I've heard a lot of yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about the reasons for being kicked out, and at this point, it sounds like they were grasping at straws, just anything they could possibly come up with as an excuse to force someone out of the community that they didn't feel was, I don't know, keep sweet and praying enough or something that they weren't falling in line perfectly. They just wanted them out. Is that what you saw too? I, I know they wanted me out because I questioned Hmm. and maybe that was a complaint. I don't know, but growing up, dad always taught us that the only stupid question is the one you didn't ask. Mm. You learn by asking questions and don't ever feel stupid about a question that you ask because all questions are good. And I was told multiple times, stop questioning. You're giving the devil ground to work on. Mm. And to this day, I still don't understand that one, but (laughs) me neither. I'm I'm a big question asker too, though, and yes. I was encouraged from a young age to always ask questions, and so I kept doing that, and even when it made people unhappy as well. Wow. So I can uh, relate a little bit in that sense. When Lyle yeah. was being corrected, was he? So he was he he was in the office of a bishop and was being corrected. Why do you think Warren did that? Bringing up past things, and was was he being used as an example at that point? Yes, he was being used as an example. There was another revelation that came um, a little bit later, which told Lyle that he would be forever no member, which means he would never be able to come back into the LDS. And he said it was because you turned the affection of the people to him instead of to Warren. So a little bit of jealousy there, I think. Okay. <laughs> I think Helaman's next on that list. <laughs> he wasn't on the last revelation, right? Like, so Warren doesn't like I, it when people outshine him. No, he doesn't. But I do believe that he is incapacitated. Mm. He is on the state record. He has 25 personalities, uh, seven of which they do know names of. And that's what solitary confinement will do to anyone. Right. And if you have a tendency of having mental disorders, then that's going to happen if you get into an isolated condition. And he's been isolated for a long time now, I think since 2006, Mm -hmm. I want to say. Yep. Because they're worried about him getting killed from other inmates because other inmates don't appreciate pedophiles. Right. Oh, absolutely not. So, so, I mean, they're keeping him in solitary for his own health so that he doesn't get shanked. And at the same time, like you said, is deteriorating what little mental health he did have to begin with. Right. Correct. And I think that, I mean, Sam, as you know, we were always taught that there could only be one man on the earth that held the keys of the priesthood. Yep. And so when Helaman rose up, I started questioning and... I have a acquaintance that knows some of the prison guards and they said, Oh, he's totally incapacitated. So somebody else had to start running the show and that's where Helaman rose up. So I don't think that there's going to be any problem with Helaman as far as with Warren is where he's concerned because Warren is incapacitated. That is okay. so interesting because we've heard from <clears throat> from other sources that were just that recently recently that were a or that are a part of the Jeffs family 
that have said that all of these revelations are still coming from Warren. And they are sounding very crazy, but they are still coming from him and that Helaman is just the one passing the message along. So it sounds like there's different stories being thrown around here. Definitely. Um, the one uh, revelation that Helaman did, I actually have my hands on one. And it is really quite scary. We had a press conference on it back earlier this year and literally calling out the like Homeland Security, the FBI, the Sheriff's Department, get involved. We need to stop this because he is literally talking uh, suicide. Right. Yeah. The the being um, translated and having to die first. Yeah. Correct. And, you know, if you really truly do your research and reading, a translated being never died. They never taste death. I was so confused when we read that revelation because we had that sent to us. And for those of you who are watching and are wondering, I'll leave a link above to our video about that revelation. But I was so confused because being raised LDS, the word translation, you know, I had heard that all the time yep. and it's biblical, right? So I'm like, the whole point of being translated is that you don't have to die exactly. and go through that and you are literally lifted up. So the idea that they put that caveat after of, and they must, in order to be translated, they must die first. I was like, scary. That's not even what it's supposed to mean. Right. <laughs> like this makes no sense. Exactly. It's, and that's where, you know, Uncle Roy comes back into play is if it doesn't square with, you know, the teachings of early history, then, you know, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, the Bible then disregarded as coming from beneath. And that one definitely is from beneath. That is definitely one that has taken control of the person's mind that wrote it, whether it be Warren or Helaman. Right. I was under the impression though, that it was Helaman right. and Helaman was actually ordained to take Warren's place. Oh, oh wow. That's why when the guard told my acquaintance that he was incapacitated, it made sense mm. that that they would have to have someone else. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the revelations from like a couple months ago yet? I have not. We will have to new share them with you. Out, so there's yes. new ones. And so the revelations from a couple months ago, it's very interesting because a year ago, it's very clear that it's coming through Helaman, you know, and it has Helaman's picture and yeah. he's bearing his testimony and all that. And then the one that came out a couple months ago does not have Helaman involved in it anywhere, does not say it's through Helaman. And we yes. have a copy that of a handwritten portion of it where he certified on the side. He said, this is me in my handwriting and signed his signature, Warren just and wrote his signature and our source from his family said he was doing that because there were so many rumors about Helaman running the show right that he is doubling down and trying to prove that Helaman is not the one that they're coming from him so much that he's like giving extra certification and signatures in the um margins saying this is still for me this is still me Warren and Helaman, and then and then Helaman wasn't the only thing. The only thing about Helaman that was still involved in these most recent revelations was the return address was Helaman's address still. So they were sent from Helaman, but he wasn't a witness. He wasn't involved in in the revelation at all this time. So it seems. So one of his twenty million personalities came back to Warren Jeffs, <laughs> and and was like, "I need to prove that it's me." Yeah. 
But um, I question that only because of the fact that one of my sons went to school with Helaman. And Helaman forged his mom's signature, forged his oh. dad's signature. Well, that's for, juicy. He forged all of his mom's signatures. He forged his teacher's signature. He was good at that. And oh. his handwriting, he could totally change. Oh. And he would change things to look like his mom's handwriting. I mean, it was intense. Oh, man. That goes deep. Can you imagine? <laughs> My son tried it. And I'm like, do it. And you will die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Wow. Lord. Okay. So, Helaman, maybe he took himself out of the revelation and... And tried to make it seem more like a spot. I mean, Oh, boy. This knows? goes deep. This goes really deep. I just know that none of the letters that are written to Warren anymore are even getting to him. They're all being transferred to Helaman's address. I know that because my sister Rose is still pretty much into that. She decided to put a tracker on it on one of the letters and had it certified. Oh, she's no stupid. She's nobody wow. stupid. And so she tracked it. It did go to the prison. Then it was forwarded, and she watched it bounce around the United States before it landed at Helaman's address. Oh, so it ended up to Helaman. Yeah, and she's like. Nope, not happening anymore. So she will listen to all of the old teachings and trainings of Warren and, and Rulin and Uncle Roy. Um, but anything new, she's like, I know better than that. <laughs> wow, good for her. Yeah, I like amazing. the investigation of it. I'm like, man, I want to. Yeah. I wish I was a PI. <laughs> yeah, she wanted to be a PI growing up, and that was kiboshed. Because polygamous women cannot be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Don't want that kind of outside information influencing. No. Oh, well, man. Good for her for not just falling for it and doing some research because so yeah. many of the women in the FLDS are just falling for it. Whether it's Helaman or someone else stands up to take charge. A lot of people just choose to follow. And in a lot of cases, complete blind following. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's easier to blind follow to to follow blindly than it is to raise those questions and voice your opinion or even bring out um, old scripture because now it's being slapped down as well. That's the old way of doing things. We believe in modern revelation. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Um, we were told that that was the way of the Mormon church and that's where they went wrong. You know? I was just going to say, I'm like, I identify with that. Yeah. That's how I was raised most definitely. <laughs> I, I feel personally attacked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the F and FLDS stands for is fundamentalist. Right. Yeah. And not effed up, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> or does it? <laughs> oh man. Wow. Well, Kind of going, I have another question going back a little bit here. When you got separated, you know, Lyle sent off, you're separated from, and they're basically saying there's not going to be a lot of hope. Did you, did you still have hope of getting back in or was that kind of the beginning of the end for you? Or where did you personally go from there? I had the hope of getting back in. That was all I ever knew. That was, you know, you you teach a, a kid to become a suicide bomber. That's all they know. Mm -hmm. And they're going to do everything to do what it takes to be good in the eyes of whatever God they are worshiping. And so, yeah, I did. I was doing everything possible 
to get back in. And then Lyle miraculously got back in, became bishop again. Oh. Yeah. After a no-go order? No-go order. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I just thought, how is that possible? You know? So that's when things really started going to hell in a handbasket for me. I was already removed from the family. Lyle was doing a lot of harassing. Um, when it came to, so they had a storehouse for UO members and storehouse for non-UO members. I was now a non-UO member. And I had to still get my needs, a list of my needs sent to the bishop's office and have it signed by the bishop. He refused to sign them. Oh my God. Trying to starve me out of there. And I, I remember pleading with the Lord, help me see what it is that I'm doing wrong because I, I want to be a part. I want to be back by Lyle's side. I want to make it to heaven. And I heard this voice say, stop praying like that. Pray to go to a man that will love you, honor you, and exonerate you. Mm-hmm. And that's when I knew Lyle's, his repentance wasn't real. Wow. Mm. You just gave me chills. Because yeah. every woman deserves that. Every woman deserves a man who's going to do that. Right. I agree. But there's not very many within the FLDS. I'm sad to say, mm-hmm. but they're pretty egotistical and set in their ways. And yeah. That's how they are. Man. And during this time, <laughs> what, I guess, first question how many children do you have? And what became of your children during this time that you were separated? I have 10 kids, five girls, five boys. I, during this time, I had two sons leave, which broke my heart. Mm-hmm. They were going against everything that I had been taught, everything that I had taught them, you know, and so just, you know, the thought that they would never have an exaltation, I would never see them again you know, after this life was through, it, it killed me. I went into major depression. I lost over 30 pounds just because I couldn't eat. I, if I ate, I threw it up. I tried to get some help for that, but I couldn't get Lyle to sign any papers for me to even go up. You had to have a storehouse permission slip signed by the bishop to even go to the clinic to get your health needs taken care of. Wow. Trolling while became, and it was rough. I, I didn't get to see any of my children. I was told if I saw any of them, I would have to act. If I saw them in public, I would have to act like I didn't know them. Turn and walk away. And that was hard. That was really hard. I cannot even imagine. I can't either. What were the age ranges of them at this time? I had two daughters married at that time. Um, I want to say that the oldest was 24 and my youngest was 11. So little. And you were put in this position by the church that because of your belief, you were heartbroken and 
just completely broken because of your two sons that had left. And for those that were still in, you were not allowed to even suggest that they were still your children. Am Correct. I understanding that correctly? You are understanding that correctly. They were taken from me. The children belong to the men, um, to the husbands, and therefore to God. They're not the women's. We, we had no rights. And this is some of the abuse that needs to get out there and needs to stop because I didn't have rights over, I didn't have a say over my own kids. I, I couldn't help them with their prayers. I couldn't help them with anything. Mm -hmm. And to be sent away, I couldn't even say hello. How long did that go on for? Almost three years. So during these three years, did you ever see your children at, at all? Uh, or did you maybe see them in passing, but not actually have a, have a relationship with them? I am naughty. Mm, good, good for you. I am good. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I passed my, one of my sons um, on the road. I flipped around, followed him till he pulled over. <laughs> I got out and he says, what are you doing? Are you trying to make it so you can never make it back? And I said, I just needed to say hello and that I love you. Mm -hmm. I gave him a hug and I let him drive on. Mm -hmm. But I, but that was after you know a year and a half of not seeing anybody mm -hmm. in my family, and you just get starved for for your kids. You get starved through that affection. You. Humans are not made to live alone. Mm -mm. They're not made to be by themselves. That's why we have clans. That's why we have families and tribes. And it's just the way God made it to be. And that was rough being alone. After two of my sons apostatized, they came knocking at the door and I had been warned Security had called me and said, your rebellious sons are in town. They're looking for you and don't open the door. You open the door, you'll lose your salvation. You talk to them, you will lose your salvation. And I was crouched down underneath, underneath the window so they couldn't see me as they knocked on the door. And then late that night, I was escorted out with an overnight bag and I was put into a house in hiding so that they wouldn't find me. And yes, that was my choice because I wanted my salvation. I felt that they had already made their choice for damnation. And that's just because that was what I've been taught my whole life. Mm -hmm. And if I knew then what I know now, oh, that door would have been opened wide. Mm. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, man, I can't imagine. At this time, you still had younger children as well. Did you feel that they were safe? No, I did not feel that they were safe. Um, I had been put on a correction um, back in 2002. Yeah, 2002. I was sent away from the home. I have, you know, the details in my book. But... When I got back home, when I was actually allowed back home and rebaptized and remarried, 
Um, my youngest daughter, she came to me, she was four. She came to me and she said, I am so glad you're home, mother. And I so am I. And she says, I hate Mother Diana Bell. I'm like, mm. okay. She would always take me into her room and spank me. And I'm like, for what? I don't know. And so for a four-year-old not knowing why she's getting me spanking, you know, and I, stupid me, I went immediately to Lyle and I said, okay, Susie said this, what the hell is going on? What happened to my children when they were gone? He says, you will never have your children again. Oh. They will be put under your care because you coddled them. And I'm like, protecting and coddling are two different things. This is not mm -hmm. common. Yeah, keeping your child from being abused is not coddling your children. Oh, it's not coddling your children. Man. We have a four-year-old right now, and I'm I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm speechless to the just the first part, not to be torn away from your children, and then to come back and realize that while you were away, they were being—I don't know if "tortured" is the right word, but definitely Used. not well taken care of. I just a lot of people are going to ask this question: How? And I know that you're going to have a good answer, and I want to I want to make sure that we give you this opportunity. How is it possible for a mother to leave her children behind, whether or not she knows they're going to be well taken care of? How is it possible for a mother to just be willing to go because that's what the church tells you to do? I wasn't willing to go. I had to place my children in God's hands knowing that God sees all, believing that he would give them whatever experiences that they needed for their, their salvation. And that's what gave me that. And then the hope of being restored back to my place in the home by Lyle's side, it was that hope of getting that, yeah. that I didn't get. And so when I was sent further away, I thought I was gonna literally die. And I did ask God to take my life, mm. but I'm here. And I know it was because he had a greater plan. He wants the abuse to end. I know that. I know that now. I look back at the, the raid and three days before the raid happened, all of the priesthood records went from the Crick to Texas to right. be stored. And three days before the raid, my two youngest, Ammon and Susie, were taken. And they were taken to the ranch. And so that's what got me involved in the raid. Mm. Is I had to go and reclaim my children. Mm. But I look at that as, okay, God waited for this raid to happen until all of the records were in one place. Wow. He allowed it to happen and then allowed allowed me to be there to be a part of that i agree with you it's it's <clears throat> hard to believe that it was a coincidence that everything was sent in one place right before the government entered and and raided the place right so it's interesting that it worked out that way i i say it was all in god's hands he he was pretty much saying enough is enough yeah and that's why he allowed the raid to happen so I know that there was a bigger picture 
and he knows the bigger picture because he sees and knows all things. Mm. It's, it's still hard having seven of my kids still in that mass. I know that there are two of them that are looking at ways to get out. I was given a call by my youngest son, Ammon, who is out, thank goodness. And he said, what would you do if this child landed up on your doorstep? I won't give out a name because I don't want them to be persecuted. Because mm -hmm. I do know that Lyle has people listening to all the different podcasts and mm -hmm. such. So they know who to go after. And so I don't want any of them to be harmed. But he asked, what would I do if they showed up on my doorstep? And I said, any of those kids, any of Lyle's kids show up on my doorstep. I don't care what mother you're from. You show up on my doorstep. I'm going to see to it that you are taken care of and that you get your feet out, you know, on underneath you and you get a job and you get education and you become a citizen in the United States that is a good citizen. Oh man. What was the final straw for you? And how long ago was that, that you did decide to fully part ways from the church? Well, I was actually told to leave. Okay. And it was Lyle that told me to leave. I literally thought I was going to die. Um, but it was a couple of months later is when I gave up trying to make my way back. I went, this isn't for me. Had that aha moment. Um, I talk about it in depth in my book about the seed bearers oh. and how real that really truly is. And when I found out firsthand knowledge, I went, oh, hell no. I am not going to be a part of that. And that's when I started the lawsuit against Lyle when after my kids, I could only take my two youngest because they were of underage. And note to everyone out there, do not piss off a judge. Hmm. <laughs> do not piss off a judge. Lyle refused two times to show up. We had rescheduled the first time. He did not show up the second time. And that's when the judge turned to me and said, well, apparently he does not love the children enough to come after them, to fight for them. They are yours. Wow, good. And you can give him visitation rights if you want. Wow. Normally, alimony, I'm not alimony, child support is 500 per child. He slapped on $3,000 a month. Wow. Don't piss off a judge. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Man. Well, so as it stands right now, where are you? You said that there are still multiple of your children that are still a part of believing in Warren Jeffs and all of that. Uh, where are you with the relationships with those that are not? I have a good relationship with my three sons that are out. Very good relationship. Yeah. My youngest just got married yeah. and absolutely beautiful girl. Absolutely love her. Her parents are amazing. So we have a good relationship. Yeah. Um, I have another son that is military and we've got a really good relationship there. And then my oldest son, he's out, he's married. He's got a couple of kids now and his current wife is absolutely amazing. 
she she was not ever part of the FLDS. And so she has given a whole new dynamics to our lives. Mm. She has really helped all of us understand a little bit more about the world that we really truly live in because she grew up in it. I mean, her dad, her dad is Catholic and her mom is Mormon. So how's that for dynamics? (laughs) (laughs) And all about different kinds of dynamics. That's for sure. Yes. I was, I was blessed in that way to have people from the outside show me different aspects of life that aren't all just FLDS. So I understand that. And and you do, you need that, you know, to become a well-rounded person, to just have all those different dynamics. And, you know, some of the things that the FLDS taught that God was displeased with, I look at now and go, you know, wait a minute, God loves everyone. Who, who are they to judge? You know, Mm -hmm. some of my best friends are gays and lesbians. Absolutely love them. They've got some of the the most Christian like attributes about them. And yeah, I get shunned by ex members that don't have their, their eyes open. You know, these people are, are children of God. God loves them just as much as he loves you and me. Well, good. And you mentioned, uh, if you don't want to answer this, that's okay. It's very personal, but you mentioned that when you were praying, you heard a voice that you needed to find a better man. How is that quest going for you? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> not so good. Oh. <laughs> um, the last guy that I dated, we dated for over a year. Some of my family did not like him. They saw the red flags long before I did. Hmm. Um, when they're wanting to do all these fun things, but on your dime and they finally get laid off and they're just going to move in with you and they're going to file for bankruptcy. Oh, and, oh. and I was like, Oh, Whoa, uh, 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 uh. no, everything that I have fought for, you are not going to take away because you file for bankruptcy. Then they'll come after my house and my car and anything that I own. And no, yeah. I'm sorry. I don't love anybody that much. No. <laughs> well, yes, good for good. you for standing up and still being willing to keep those standards high for what you deserve. Yes. You deserve the best. I know I deserve great things. And I know that there is somebody out there, but I am enjoying my freedom. Good. Okay. I mean, if, if the right guy comes along, he's got to absolutely blow my mind away and be the perfect guy because I have some high expectations as you should <laughs> as you should and after everything you've been through I just oh my goodness you're I mean obviously by this conversation I can tell you're a very strong woman and you uh, impressed me in so many ways with what you were able to accomplish and do and and just the the hell you were put through I'm just so sorry no one should have to deal with that and still to this day fighting for some of your children that are still believing in this. It's just beyond my comprehension. So thank you so much for being willing to come on and share your story and being open about it. Yes. And for those of you who are listening in and want to know all the details, myself included, I can't wait to read it myself, but we will leave a link in the description for Charlene's new book. Charlene, what's the title of your book? Tell your heart to beat again. Tell your, oh, I love it. 
two books out with the same title, surprisingly, but um, one is on self-help. And then of course mine, mine, uh, the cover shows uh, it's two pictures and there's, it's separated with the cardiac rhythm. So the cardiac rhythm is kind of like flat line and then it goes into the rhythm. Um, and that, you know, tell your heart to beat again. But the bottom picture is a picture of short Creek in nighttime with a storm brewing over El Cap Mm. with a few lights on. So it kind of is symbolic as the lights are little flickers of hope that are still there in the Creek, but you can see the storm that's brewing. Mm. And then the top picture is of me i'm holding the i'm kind of wrapped up in the flag and you can see the city below so it kind of shows freedom i don't know if there is any book cover or youtube thumbnail out there that shares such a big story as that does yeah it's amazing thanks for explaining that Uh, that'll be a (laughs) huge help when people see that to understand what it what the meaning behind it all is yeah yeah. Well, thank you so much again for being on with us. And for our viewers, if you want to hear more of what it was like for Sam to grow up in polygamy, please like and subscribe and continue to support such brave people like Charlene and yes. sharing their stories with us. If you have a story to share as well after leaving a polygamous community, community then please reach out to us at growingupinpolygamy at gmail.com. Yes. Thank you, Charlene. Thank you. Appreciate it. We really enjoyed having you on and we look forward to having future conversations with you as well. Sounds good. Thank you. You bet. Thank you all so much for being with us here today. We look forward to talking with you soon. We'll talk to you all soon.